and welcome to another Kids Media Club podcast and we've got a good one for you today. I'm here as ever with Emily. Hi everyone, it's Emily Horgan, uh, Kids uh, Streaming uh, uh, Specialist and yeah, it is going to be a good one. Tell us about it, Andy. Hi, I'm Andy. Um, yeah, so in this episode we're looking forward to discussing deal making, franchises, IP and something called average engage time per user with our very special guest, Simon Pullman. Simon, could you give us a brief introduction? Hello, uh, thank you for having me me on. It sounds like my audio is working now, so that's, uh, that, that's a bonus. Um, I'm a partner at the law firm of Prior Cashman. I'm based out of New York City, and my practice specializes in, in entertainment transactions, uh, primarily company side. So I do a lot uh, of rights acquisitions, deals, um, of all forms of underlying IP for studios, networks, uh, producers, and, and, and other um, similarly situated clients. Um, and then I help them at all stages in, in getting their um, their shows uh, developed, financed, and, and produced. You're probably the smartest guest that we've had on, or that, that's an insult to every other guest that we've had. That, 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 rem- that remains to be seen, I think. <laughs> I feel already on the back foot at, uh, at the side as of your brain. There's nothing right? worse than right at the start somebody saying, this person's really, really smart. Oh, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, certainly for me, you're you're one of the people on LinkedIn that I stop. I don't scroll past because in, in, inevitably I learn something interesting reading your posts, which for me is the whole point of LinkedIn. So, yes, thank you for that. And I also uh, saw your company name in the news just this very day, very uh, timely with the Ed Sheeran case that uh, that Prior Cashman has been helping out on. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal uh, for the firm. Uh, I personally had absolutely zero to do it to with it. But the music and, and IP litigation team is is absolutely world world class, and it's an important case for for the music industry and for and for creators. And they did a fantastic job on on behalf of Mr. Sheeran. It's perhaps a great lead in to to the kind of business that we're all in, right? You know, this the the media and entertainment business is changing so quickly rights frameworks you know it's all it's all changing and you've got creators like ed sheeran or you've got others like mr beast who are who are so powerful their brands in in and of themselves you know have you seen kind of a power shift rights wise and in rights frameworks as we enter this creator economy age it's really interesting because um, you know I went to South by Southwest in Austin in March, and they had a pop-up installation that was effectively, um, you know, it was creator-focused products, and they did indeed have the Mr. Beast chocolate bars and other mm-hmm. products there, which is, is is pretty is pretty staggering. It's not something you really could have conceived of, um, I think, even you know, uh, ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, The answer is, I think, um, uh, you know, yes with with an an if uh, or no with a a, a but because it's highly context uh, specific. You know, I think I think traditional media and sort of wide distribution is still really, really important. If you have a Netflix show or a movie, I mean, that can 
reach millions of people worldwide. But with that said, I do think that, that, that rights holders who are in certain circumstances do have more power and leverage than, than before. And, you know, historically, perhaps, uh, if you were a book author, um, you know, you might have had your property acquired and then been told, you know, thanks very much, we'll take it from here. Um, and I think things have changed a little bit now because certain creators can build a groundswell of community, you know, early on in, in the creative process. That's really interesting. And I think one of the things that that is a sort of a signpost to, and it's something that we try and pay attention to on the podcast, is how the emergence of kind of new platforms and new creators are kind of challenging the more sort of traditional um, outposts of uh, media and entertainment. Um, how do you, looking at something like gaming, do you think that, how has that emerged in the last couple of years as a source of kind of really powerful IP? And I'm thinking of the way the Mario Brothers has kind of transferred to cinema and the and the great success that that has had. Is that an indicator that we're going to see a lot of a lot of sort of gaming brands start to kind of move outside of gaming into other territories? Un unquestionably, um, unquestionably. And I think there's a couple of factors, uh, you know, t to that. Um, you know, game, part of it is to do with the, the experience of, of gaming and, and, and the immersion of, of playing a game, of being in in that world. And also the inherently sort of social aspect to it in terms of, you know, gamers are, I think, uh, unusually engaged with each other, you know, in communities around around a game. Now, that's not always the most positive thing, but there's no doubt that if you create something that, that they love, they will share that, they will talk about it, all those kinds of things. The other side of the coin, in terms of the, the success of the adaptation, it, it comes in part with, uh, effectively, we now have, for the first time in my estimation, a um, a generation of executives in and around the entertainment business and in, in Hollywood who have grown up with and understand gaming, and that's right across the, the ecosystem. It's lawyers like my, myself, it's it's agents, um, it's studio executives, and perhaps most importantly, it's writers and directors who, you know, it, for for whom it's not just oh we bought this thing, right? It, we've heard it's sold a lot of copies you know, look at the picture on the box, you know, write something, make something up, but actually people who have played the games, who understand them, who understand the themes, who understand the values and understand the, the fandom, you know, behind it. And then, if, you know, and I think maybe a final factor is because uh, video game companies make so much money, you know, at, at the highest level, at least in the AAA space, those games are so are so um, successful in and of themselves. They now can command a level of involvement and approval that that previously perhaps you know they would not have been able to 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 get. And that is very much the case with you know the the, the success stories that everybody is talking about presently. The Last of Us, where Sony was involved, but also Neil Druckmann. In fact, he co-wrote uh, the pilot and directed several episodes, and that effectively. It's more or less a verbatim retelling of the game and where there are deviations, well, they're sort of authorized because Druckmann's involved, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, you know, N Nintendo. And to me, one of the most um, striking things about seeing that, that, that movie was just in, in, in the opening titles and seeing 
the Nintendo logo there, seeing you know um, uh, you know a, a Chris Melandri and Shigeru Miyamoto production, you know, right there up at the forefront of this is is is, is Nintendo, and Nintendo clearly had their hand in every aspect of this production. They were not going to allow it to deviate from from the brand values of of Mario and what the fans would 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 expect some critics would say that that leads to perhaps a safe production i personally loved it it was everything that, you know that i would would hope to to see and and, and expect and i think that's a, you know without diminishing the the um involvement of of the actors and universal and marketing all of whom did a fabulous job i do think a, a big big factor here was when those parents brought their kids to mario when i went to the screening and i saw the whole family dressed in mario cosplay <laughs> they went there and they saw super mario they didn't see something super mario name only they saw super mario and they saw the world around it and they left thinking hmm what about that donkey kong movie that could potentially come in the future that's fascinating and i when you were describing that i was thinking uh, there have been a lot of um, lackluster adaptations of video games in the past yeah. that mm. have never really kind of managed to fulfill that promise when they'd got to the screen. And you're probably right. The, the gap there was the fact that it was people that didn't really live and breathe those games mm. and weren't fans themselves trying to second guess what was, what was the right adaptation for this, um, for this franchise. Second guess what was the right adaptation or, you know, if you're being more cynical, you know, wanted to sort of superimpose their own story on top of, of this this brand. Well, uh, OK, I guess I have to do this video game thing, you know, because it's the quickest part of it being greenlit and me being paid. But I don't really like it or care about it. But yeah. I want to tell this story. And so I'm going to I'm yeah. going to do this. You know, that's a cynical take. But I think it's not entirely unfair with respect to certain of the adaptations. Yeah, I think we, we spoke about it once before. We think that, you know, in, in years gone by, I think there was perhaps an inherent snobbery between Hollywood and gaming. And when they had to do these adaptations, it didn't necessarily attract the best writers. Um, but then we entered a space where writing in video games took a huge step forward in terms of n narrative. And they we've seen that that converge. And, and look where we are now. We've gone from the slightly dodgy Max Payne and Hitman movies to blockbusters like Super Mario and, and shows like The Last of Us that are up there, really up there in terms of the quality bar. I love thinking about it in terms, because we, we speak, we've spoken on the podcast before about, you know, in 10 years time, there's definitely going to be an original IP that, are, that came from Roblox 10 years no ago. No question. Oh, we, yeah. We all thought there was going to, it was quite obvious there was going to be an original IP that came from YouTube. But actually, 10 years before that was, you know, it was probably about that kind of gaming juncture where gaming was kind of hitting that critical mass of um, being developed enough, you know, having enough storytelling in it, like having that kind of, the, you know, the, the multifaceted universe, all that kind of stuff. So I actually never thought about when, what went before. <laughs> Uh, just picking up on one of the things when you were saying the convergence of stuff is we're also seeing, so I've kind of seen that a lot of the animation tools that have developed now are using video game um, tools. So a lot of the tech that's being shared is being shared across animation for TV and screen, uh, as well as animation that's being used as part of the gaming engine. And you're you're having teams and crews that are kind of moving from from one area to the other, and and I wondered whether that production convergence 
has an implication as well in terms of how these how the adaptations roll out. Uh, I mean, if you look at something like Arcane, which there's there's real integration there between the teams that worked on the uh, the video game and the Netflix series. Totally, and, and Arcane is 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 an unquestionable uh, success story, very very critically acclaimed, embraced by both the fans of the game. And people who just, you know, I don't play the game, but I really, really like the series. I think people would say the same about the CD Projekt Red Cyberpunk series, which got, you know, which was really well, was really, really well received. But this, this piece is, 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 is just so fascinating to me because this is kind of potentially where, where things are going in, in, in the future, which is if you look at, um, you know, Unreal Engine, for example, Right and metahumans and and these and these and these tools, um, it there is going to be a point where it becomes possible to develop game and interactive experience concurrently with with linear and effectively use the same the same assets. Which from a from a franchise building standpoint, right? We put aside the technical just for a moment. We talk about creatively. Well, now you don't have the necessarily the, the issue in quite the same way in terms of the workflow of well, let's do the game first. We don't know. Oh, game gets delayed. Okay, da, 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 da. now we wait another three years for the, for the movie. But you can potentially sort of start to see these these concepts, which you know is sort of the essence of of of, of this word you know transmedia that people that that people talk about. And so for that reason, some of the gaming companies might very well become powerhouses in in you know across linear uh, you know entertainment uh, and 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 vice versa potentially and i will say i mean you you spoke about the, the linkedin at the start i mean this is one of the things that i love about about linkedin because through you know through those pieces and it's been an outlet for me i've discovered a lot of people who are thinking similarly about this stuff and they're excited about it so i learn from 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 them i mean i had, I had an amazing conversation with a, a gentleman in australia this guy nathan basley this this week who's in the virtual production space you know, so he's working with studios and governments to sort of, you know, work with them and, and, and sort of uh, implement these these technologies. I think primarily on the film and television side, but also gaming. But that that, as you say, Andy, that's the next that's the next frontier, and it's coming yeah. fairly quickly. I think it is, yeah. And and, and I see a whole new way of working emerging, where because there's these technologies at the center and for a brand person like me and and emily and andy you know that notion of creating once in the center with a technology that allows you to service so many different types of media and platforms create once use hundreds of times whereas it used to be that you had to summarily recreate everything you had to animate your series then you had to go and code your game you had to you know it you can effectively with Unreal and, and, you know, you can create something in the middle. You can even still output it at two, two and a half D. You literally move a slider right. and then, then you can output it to a, you know, a game engine that is that looks slightly different again. But you've only had to create once in the middle. And that's that's fascinating, both in terms of cost effectiveness and speed. But it's interesting, your point, you know, it actually puts the people that can manipulate that technology whether it's game studios or those experts in a huge position of power well, and, and that's it joe as, as i hear you as i hear you say that word people 
because we're talking about technology, but I think the people aspect becomes key in terms mm. of people who can understand this technology and think about the possibilities, but also the collab. I mean, this, this feels highly collaborative, doesn't it? You know, across different groups and departments. I suppose it's also that funny, that, that funny thing of like, if you could do everything at once, would you? And I mm -hmm. think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as things go on, because definitely within kids, what we see is, you know, putting out everything all at once, like there needs to be a little bit of a build you know what I mean there needs to be curation about how it all hits and I think trying to get that right will be interesting once it's all on the table you know whereas yeah. before we've always been constrained by production needs and what? budgets and you know that thing of like well, oh well we could get the game assets from this but it's going to be an extra how many grand and 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 do we, do we want to make that investment not knowing if it's coming or not you know it's all that kind of thing yeah I mean i I wonder if one of the ways it might be heading, you talk about Arcane and about the increased power that the game producers have as effectively as the creator of all of the assets that will then be um, sort of dispersed across different platforms and different media, is whether you're going to start having a situation where the production companies almost have to take responsibility for the marketing of their products in a way that they'd previously deferred that to the platforms or the networks or the broadcasters or the studios. Uh, I mean, we've talked on this podcast before about the challenge, particularly for children's content on a lot of streaming platforms, because it can be a bit like throwing your product into the vortex and it and it's just 100%, hard to hundred percent, which is one and of so, the, uh, so yeah. then is it the production company that needs to be responsible for promoting that? Well, and, and and whose budget does it does it does it pull from, right? To yeah. to an to an extent, and that was the justification, sort of back in the day for a lot of these cross-platform and transmedia experiments, is that they they came from the marketing budget, but but really, you know, they sort of need to be conceived, you know, uh, concurrently with development. But but that issue about about sort of audience discovery is one of the you know the existential uh, dilemmas of the streaming era. I, I I think so many of these companies have the the approach of we'll let the algorithm sort it out. The algorithm will you know will, will surface. But um, I you know I think for as somebody who works with producers, it's very difficult when you you know your project just gets gets put up there. And then there's no external promotion whatsoever. Um, but again, that that to circle back, you ask about you know game IP and the like. That is why, in part, you know, look at something that's not necessarily directly technically based on the game, but but kind of is part of the same the same IP. The Witcher, right? The reason The Witcher cut through was because millions upon millions of people are familiar with this brand, have played the games. Some of them read the books, but but I think the games, you know, prim primarily. Um, I have a question about, you know, it's related to gaming, actually. So we've entered an era where kids and young people aren't as happy to just sit and passively consume content anymore. You, you know, there are times they do. They just want to watch video and, and chill. But most of the time they want to engage actively with brands and IP. And that's in gaming. That's in, in kind of immersive media, augmented reality, all of that. But what they also want to do is they they want to mash up brands. You know, kids don't care that Barbie is Mattel and Mr. Potato Head is Hasbro. They might take Barbie's arms off and stick, stick them on Mr. Potato Head. You know, there's whole teams of, of brand people that would, in days gone by, have shuddered about things like that. But actually, given the rise of Roblox and social gaming platforms like that, where kids do want to mash up IP and, and collaborations are things that get them excited, is there 
Is there a sense in, in your world that actually those that control brands and those guidelines and those rights are gonna have to just ease off a little bit and chill and <laughs> let let these kind of things happen? So th there's, no, there's no question that for a younger generation, their relationship to media and to entertainment brands is a bit different to the generations that came that came before. And this, this poses a, a dilemma for, for, for rights holders because on the one hand, for a lot of these companies, you know, the IP is, is part of the, the sort of the fundamental, the core value of, of their companies. And they're extremely uh, protective of it. Uh, in some instances, you know, the IP helps generate billions of dollars across across platforms. On the other hand, you know, people, younger people, perhaps people who are under the age of, of 18, they're, they're accustomed to to living and and, uh, and and sort of interacting in platforms like Minecraft and Roblox and, and Fortnite that are, are highly social, but also that have sort of a creating a creative aspect uh, to them. So for an IP holder, you effectively have a, a choice to make. You know, um, you know, to what extent and what degree you're going to you're going to allow and relax, uh, you know, the restrictions around your IP, because. You know, on the one hand, you don't want to sort of lose control, you know, over it. But on the other hand, if you don't permit this, then either, you know, a there could there's quite likely to be, you know, unauthorized use of, of IP just because of the way that the, the world is is presently, or, or, or b, you know, there's sort of the notion that perhaps these platforms are going to are going to seed, are going to um, are going to create entirely new IP that's that's native to them. And which has it has this kind of level of, of creativity um, baked baked in, um, you know, right from from the essence. And you know, I mean, I'll tell you, we work with Roblox creators. You know, um, I, you know, I have uh, you know a client that's creating Roblox games, and the CEO is about twenty three years years of age. And I can tell you that his mentality, I think, towards IP is completely different than than perhaps you know a traditional um, executive who has been, who's grown up in the world of. You know, this is our this is our IP protected all, at all at all costs. It's it's interesting, isn't it? I kind of I was struck by, I was reminded of where the way Netflix dealt with Bridgerton. Um, the there was a spoof Bridgerton musical, and the Netflix were pretty relaxed about it um, until it got to be such a success that they were looking at putting it on Broadway and the West End. And I think it. It was what for them. It was it had crossed over between from being a marketing promotional kind of device for the series to being something that was going to become uh, a commercial kind of venture. And it was at that point that um, they decided a legal line had been crossed. And you can see how maybe that approach in which that anything underneath a certain bar is play and interaction but as soon as it kind of moves above that threshold then then the situation changes but it's kind of a delicate balance yeah i, I think that's a fairly a fairly common uh, you know approach which is you know uh, now most companies do recognize the value of, of fan ac ac activity um and they're less sort of punitive i mean the other piece obviously that everybody remembers is the uh, the stranger things cease and desist letter that was written in a very creative creative uh, way there you know so so they encourage it but when it becomes commercial you know that's a line not all companies of course i mean i think broadly nintendo's position is we don't really want you doing anything with our with our ip but what i can also tell you is that some of these platforms 
um, are building are building economies. They're building economies within within the platforms that 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 intend you know commercial use and. That when anytime you're dealing with like a, a UGC type project, and we've worked on a few, um, you know, it was a thing for a while when the whole you know Web three NFT craze was was going right. The notion of well, you you can buy this and you can and you can you know also commercialize it to an extent, but it comes it becomes very 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 complicated in terms of working out how the revenues are split, how they're accounted. And those and those kinds of and those kinds of things, we'll see more of it. But it's you know, say it's extraordinarily complex. I'd love to know, Simon, if you have any advice for creators that are in, you know, in these kind of new media zones at the moment about like what they should be thinking about regarding, you know, protecting their IP, future proofing it, like the things they should be looking to do, the things they should be declining in the early days. It's you know, it's an absolute minefield. Has to be. It, it, it is a minefield, and, and and the other piece around this is that some of the people in these spaces are, are effectively child prodigies. You know, yeah. I mean, there are there are kids who are 13, 14, 15 who are creating immensely popular experiences within these platforms, and you know they're not thinking about any of the the implications of of this at, at all. And you know, it's a, it's um, as a lawyer. Right. You know, I would obviously counsel everybody to, to, to sort of speak with counsel because you have you have two, two things, two things involved here that, you know, it's concerned about your own potential infringement on third party rights, which clearly, you know, can be, um, you know, significant in terms of your liability, but then also protecting your original, you know, new and original creations and, you know, what is protectable of what you create? How can you, you know, protect the, the, those rights? Can you register copyright? Can you, can you, you know, uh, register trademarks, these kinds of pieces? But I would say that a large portion of the audience isn't really thinking about, about any of these, of these things. And, and moreover, it becomes really, really complicated when you have these UGC, UGC uh, type ecosystems when perhaps somebody creates something and then somebody else builds on top of that and then somebody else builds on top of that. Uh, who owns who owns what? You know, it's, 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 it's really, really difficult. You know, the easy thing to say is, well, the platform owner owns everything, right? It's all it's all assigned back 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 to them. Um, but you know, uh, some of those companies would say that's not the spirit of of what they're trying to create. So it's it's really really tricky. A lot of work for lawyers, and that's before you even get into you know the things like the the, the terms and uh, you know of use and compliance and copper and all of those sorts sorts of issues. That's fascinating. It made me, talking about UGC content. It made me think about the situation that we've got coming up pretty shortly where there's going to be a lot of classic well disney characters for one that are going to become in the public domain and so when that you know when stephen boat mickey meets um uh, ai tools and ugc platforms is what's the what's the scope for mischief to be made with um with classic um character ip well, um, and, and as a lawyer, Simon, how would you advise us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people advise do not do not do not rely on the, on the following. That's the, the disclaimer. Well, I, I ought to further disclaim because you know I am not a copyright lawyer, and there are you know there are many many people in the copyright society you know who are uh, you know who are much more qualified. We have some fabulous people here at the firm. There's a um, 
uh, there's a, a, a blog, I think it's copyright, uh, Lately, is that what I'm, I'm thinking of? I will, I will look, uh, I will look that that up. That's run by a lawyer who's very, very knowledgeable and writes about a lot of these issues um, uh, on um, you know, on LinkedIn. But, but you know, it's 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 interesting because the public domain piece um, is, um, you know, what people may not realize is that a particular work may fall into the it may fall into the public domain but that does not mean that that entire property or that even that entire character has fallen into the public domain you know and there have been some sort of uh, you know studies and perhaps even cases around certain certain facets of, of, of these pieces you know um, you know Sherlock Holmes uh, you know for example is, is one of the oft-cited ones you could look at certain you know certain properties like where there's maybe a book and the book, you know, has gone to the public domain, but then there was also a very famous movie that may or may not feature, uh, you know, uh, Ruby Slippers, uh, where certain, you know, things may have been created by the movie studio, and, and and they are not. So if you want to play in those in those worlds, you know, you definitely need to be a little bit cautious. But it's starting to happen. I mean, everybody's aware. I think of this Winnie the Pooh horror movie that was that was made, you know, ostensibly capitalizing on this, and, you know, it. And then, you know, and then the second part of the inquiry is, well, what happens when you feed it into an AI, an AI machine? And I don't think anybody really knows about the, you know, about what the long term implications of those things are, are going are going to be. I'm a little bit cautious, frankly, about talking too much about the implications of AI and copyright, because I think there are unsettled issues relating to um you know, relating to to the sort of the training of training of AI, um, you know, using copyrighted works and, and the rest. It's a really, really complicated issue. It's coming up obviously in the WGA negotiations at the moment, you know, in relation to the current uh, strike. And what I would my main advice to your audience on that piece is to follow some of the people who are much more qualified than me and our real copyright lawyers, copyright litigators, you know, around this and then just tread carefully. Yeah, sage advice. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed with care. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share off my Steamboat Mickey kind of um, uh, idea just for the time being. Um, you, you mentioned at the top, Andy, this, uh, I even wrote it down because I was struggling to remember it, the average engaged time per user. Is that right? The EPOO? E <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have written on my notebook. I'm fascinated. I think. Oh, sorry. It's not far off. Tell us a bit, a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, I just to sort of step back. I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the the entertainment and media business, uh, and that's you know I, I spend you know a good twelve hours a day sort of professionally working on it and doing deals. But effectively, from the moment I wake up to it, it just, I'm just you know I'm consuming this. That's the way I've always been. I'm passionate about it. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's we're in such an interesting an interesting time. And so you know this was a thought that I think I woke up and I was you know sort of thinking through, and I was. I was sort of starting with the notion of, of, you know, I'm somebody, I do a lot of rights deals, a lot of rights deals on, on the rights holder side and then and particularly on the acquiring side. And so I see the way that things play out. I see what people uh, perhaps value or maybe even don't think about things in any kind of a logical or rational way. Very often it's a competitive situation. It's just a race 
uh, you know, to compete to get a particular property without really thinking uh, too much about the about the valuation of it. And you know, the starting point was well, what, what is the what's the bedrock of something that's that's really going to have long term value? And I think it's it's something that people really care about that they really care about and want to spend time with and they want to invest in and engage with. And so I sort of worked, started working backwards from that and, um, you know, just basically wrote the bulk of it on my phone in my notes app as I mapped to, to, to do uh, when I was walking the, 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 the dog and then just sort of structured it, it out and, and put it out as, a, as an article. And people have, have responded, um, you know, favorably to it because I think there are a lot of like-minded people who are, who are really thinking about these types of, of concepts. I think it's superficial um, a little bit because there are questions, well, what, how do you define engagement, you know? Uh, we talk about aggregate, you know, it's, we're talking about like total, total, in, 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 you know, engagement, right? Average engagement. Well, but what's, what, you know, what, what does that mean over time? You know, there are plenty of properties that people engage with, you know, a ton in the 80s and 90s that have fallen fallow, you know, so there's like a time factor to it. So all of these, these sort of nuances and complications, but it, it is at a very, very superficial level. I think it dis distills down really what companies should be looking at and, and perhaps can, where they can find value in the market is in finding things where communities are starting to coalesce around something where there's real enthusiasm where people are really you know not just passively like oh yeah it's fine you know i'll buy the ticket i'll watch the show you know half paying attention but they really really care about it because i think that's going to be increasingly the foundation of value especially when you're looking at things that can live across platforms a quick interruption joe needed to leave the recording at this point as she had to go to another meeting that's just in case anyone thought she'd gone a bit quiet. Now back to the conversation. There's something quite compelling about that argument. I suppose for me as a creator, one of the things that makes me nervous about it is you look at something like Mario Brothers or you look at The Witcher. Or, I think these have been enormous um, adaptations to screen that have, that have kind of hit the ground running because they've already got an audience there. Um, and because it's a legacy uh, IP, it kind of it brings everyone to the cinema or to the TV screen, uh, if it's Witcher or Arcane. But it but it raises a question for me about well, one of the it's a good, Pixar's got an interesting test case with uh, Elementals, which is that that's a that's an original piece of IP that's been created for the screen. Now, I hope that succeeds because I want there to be a world in which we can get big original blockbusters rather than having to have legacy um, um, IP. But do you think there's do you think there's space for that now? Or do you think we're now in a in a kind of a world where people are going to go for that safer bet? which is maybe an adaptation from a video game. What does it mean for somebody that wants to make original content for the screen for kids? Yeah, and I, and I really, really hope, uh, I hope that, that there is, um, you know, that we, that we get sort of movies based on spec scripts and big new, you know, uh, works of fiction. And the, like, it has to be, that's, that's the lifeblood of the, of the industry. You know, you have to you know, sort of appreciate a little bit, I'm coming from a, from a, from a particular perspective, insofar as I represent companies that are looking to identify, you know, um, IP or concepts or scripts that they can then that they can then sell, and you know, I I still happen to think that video games, for example, are undervalued. I would, you know, 
I would, uh, you know, certainly think that most AAA video games are more valuable than, say, an unpublished book manuscript. But 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 there are a few a, a few caveats, you know, to that. One is that I'm not creative, right? I don't really have any sense of that. I have no taste. I have no, you know, I have no like, and, and so much of the of, of the of the of, of the key to the to the business is, is that there are people who I have seen it. There are people who can identify taste and talent, right? That is one of the hallmarks of, of a remarkable executive. They they really can, and they can in, in, encourage it and shepherd it. Yeah, I, I I can't do that. What I can see, what you know, what I can see is is, is sort of you know obvious to me inefficiencies in in, in the marketplace. You know, the other the the, the more speculative piece is sort of at the other end, which is well, okay, you know, yeah, anybody, you know, anybody, most people can see that Mario and Zelda and you know Elden Ring and these things are, are huge, right? It's it's sort of it's no brainer. But but can you apply this kind of thinking to independent games to independent you know authors right so you know i mean the old you know this has happened a little bit you look at like something like a platform like wattpad where somebody was very smart and bought the kissing booth right out of there because presumably there was they saw something there and it's to me it's never just about the story it's never just about the thing there are many more factors that go into it the original concept is there a role we can cast for somebody you know does this talent like it will this director direct it um, but also is that, you know, is there a, you know, can we, can we create a world out of it and do more, more stuff, but then, you know, is there a community around it is, is one of the, is one of the factors. So I'm not taking a, a particular sort of perspective on that. Nothing would make me happy, happier, frankly, than to see a whole slew of, of amazing original, you know, ideas, both as a, as a, as a viewer and as a professional in, in, in the industry. Um, you know, it, it's um, and this is always the danger, you know, because I, I hope that people think that the things I, you know, I write are, are thoughtful and considered and everything else. But I would also, by the same token, certainly not encourage people to take them as gospel, because, again, like that puppy started as, as the musings of a man who woke up at 6 a.m. and started thinking about it, then wrote it on his phone while he was walking his dog. So this isn't like a Ph.D. study. Um, you know, it's, it's a germ of an idea. Well, I just because I'm kind of looking into this year or the next calendar year is kind of like the year, the year of the original because don't we have originals coming from all of the major animation studios? We have Migration coming from Illumination. We have Elemental. We have Wish, and there's something coming from DreamWorks that's escaping my memory right now. Um, so you have to believe, you have to believe. I don't think you can work in entertainment and not believe that original IP can cut through. We saw it with Encanto. Encanto was was, oh, was brand marvelous. new. Marvelous. I mean, Encanto. Yeah. And and then the live stage show that that, that they sort of did off of Disney Plus and every, and everything else, and that will go into live attractions and and, and everything else. I'm 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 sure. But yeah, I think Emily, you know, this is where this is the hope, right? For 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 that because we've had Super Mario brought families back you know, made over a billion dollars worldwide, may make significantly more. But for me about movie going in particular, it's about habit. You know, it's about the habit routine of going to the theater. So yeah, I really, really, really hope that that's looked at not as like an anomaly. Um, you know, it was this massive, uh, it was this massive sort of success just because people love, love Mario and love Nintendo. But then it was sort of like, you know, was this this earmark in the same way that sort of, Top Gun or John Wick 4 on the sort of, the you know, the, the blockbuster, you know, 
uh, stage, you know, did that. But that it was sort of the the thing was like, yeah. And then they saw the trailers in front of the movie, and they were like, yeah, that was it was really really fun to get out of our house and go together as a, as a family to this to this multiplex and be in the company of other people and react to this movie. You know, I really really hope so. Um, uh, you know, because that's you know that's been one of the really really interesting things I think over the last twelve months is seeing this sort of this pivot and this realization and look, I'll say it proved me wrong a little bit um, that people don't just want streaming, it seems, but they want to get out to, you know, and then you have a big theatrical and then guess what people, you know, will, will either buy the movie or see on streaming and, and, and everything else. So yeah. And what we see is actually peop- the theatrical release doesn't necessarily uh, decay the streaming, the streaming performance, um, at least on kids so much. Um, yeah, no, the future, the future has to be more than Coco Mel in the movie, which was, um, uh, rumors uh, this week to be picked up by DreamWorks. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, the, uh... and, and inevitability, right? Given the size of uh, the size of the of, of the brand, but mm. um, um, but yes, it's uh, I, I'm very very uh, intrigued to see how that 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 turns out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder because I'm sort of nervous about the the summer of originals just because I like them all to kind of hit and and prove any of my misgivings wrong i think there's a there's a risk that i actually don't think the studio's marketing game for a lot of recent animated movies in particular has been particularly strong i don't i i think the 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 move the movies that have come out of DreamWorks, uh, out of disney and pixar recently i think they got lost in the noise a bit and didn't manage to kind of really break through and i think what they're competing against with stuff like mario brothers is that you could almost take your average time per user as that's kind of marketing equity that's kind of something that's been invested into that product so so if you're going to have an original you've got to have the same it's got to really be on its a game in terms of how those shows are being marketed and they're going to have to be kind of bold and original in the terms of the way they approach those marketing. And I feel like they've been quite formulaic, uh, the way those movies have been marketed. The marketing made you feel like they didn't believe in it either. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> yeah, and Rise of Gru is another great example of where, like, obviously the marketing from that, like, just totally took off in, in a major way. So, yeah, yeah. You really need to double down when it's original and you need to believe in it. Uh, one question that I'd like to kind of to kind of finish up with is, to see whether you could, whether you've got any crystal ball gazing powers that you can talk about what we should be looking out for in terms of franchises and and deal making in the future. Gosh, um, uh, well, only fool makes uh, makes makes predictions. Um, you know, in the in the the sort of the short to to medium term, uh, you know. We've been talking about this in the video game adaptation theme. Um, I think that some of them are going to be uh, really disappointing. I think you know, not 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 you know, it's not going to perform. But I also think that that's not going to disprove the, the concept. I think we're going to see more uh, huge successes. Um, and you know, based upon the things that that I know and that I'm aware about that are coming in the pipeline, I think there are going to be some some more massive successes in that in that in that space. Um, you know, the, the beyond that, I. You know, we've talked about about some of it, which I just I think in the longer term, really we're going to see more IP, more value coming out of these online 
online experiences. Um, and we're going to start to see things coming out of online platforms like Roblox and even, you know, within Fortnite um, and, and becoming and becoming, you know, big brands. We've seen that a little bit on the merchandising, uh, you know, and consumer products side. But I think that's going to that's going to grow. That's going to grow out, um, you know, uh, hard for me to sort of pinpoint, you know, specific properties or, or franchises. I do have some, you know, I do have uh, some some ideas, but. I'll keep my cards, uh, you know, close to my chest there. Curses. I was hoping you were going to be able to point us in the direction to the video game that will be the next uh, mega hit. Oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But let, let, me, let me put it back on to you because I'm curious as to, as to your thoughts and, 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 and predictions. Um, I mean, I, I, broadly, I agree with, uh, with your kind of analysis that video games and online is going to be the space in which a lot of franchises are going to be born. Um, I, yeah, I'm hoping for a surprise uh, hit from one of the originals that come out. I think the quality is going to be good, uh, but I, I would hesitate to make any big bets on it. Really, uh, how are you, Emily? I mean, I, I, I'm still on this. This my my go-to crystal ball is Roblox will have produced a Cocomel in the next ten years. Um, but also sometimes on this like video game adaptation to traditional media format conversation, I'm kind of like, I don't love that narrative right now. Like I don't, I don't love the fact that they're saying, oh yeah, now suddenly Last of Us Mario Brothers, look, they've proven it's possible. I feel like they're, you know, first of all, I think Last of Us and Mario Brothers are really, really, really different use cases. I think, you know, one is a, a kid and family four quadrant targeted IP that, has a massive heritage and 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 it's just such a different prospect to the last of us which is you know very grown up very adult it's had a successful it's had a successful tv series you know but a movie a, a game and a tv series like okay what's next you know what's the next iteration i'm you know i'm not saying that there won't be but it, it, that, that's still quite that's still quite nascent in a franchise um life cycle point of view i would say um plus i think you know video games have there's been adaptations and you know successful i don't know like critic worthy okay maybe people didn't love street fighter 2 the movie i loved it when i saw it when i was a kid and it was a great extension of, of a game that i really enjoyed and i probably my brothers probably had the had the toys had the six inch toys and, and the t-shirt and whatever and you know it's easy to look it's very easy to look back on a movie from the 90s and say it wasn't very good but actually in the moment i'd I'd love to run that analysis, well, analysis and look at the box office. And, and a new one coming, and it's going to be really interesting mm. to sort of compare and, and contrast. Uh, yeah. Those, those those go, but but you're you know you're, you're absolutely spot on, and I, I know, you know, although I will say, I'll be quite interested to see how when the next iteration of Last of Us uh, and, and Mario come out, you know, if if and to what extent. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the game, the games themselves, if if and to what extent that you know the, the linear adaptations have drawn new 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 gamers, new players to, to those games. Um, here's a question because you talk, you, you know, because you, you, you know, you alluded to marketing and everything else and, you know, uh, you guys are much more expert than me in sort of the kids and family space. I'm very curious, you know, one of the, the productions, the big bets of this year that I'm, you know, that I'm sort of most curious about the performance is The Little Mermaid uh, live action adaptation. I personally, you know, that I thought some of them have been decent. The Lion King, I think, you know, I think many people would agree took a lot of the vibrancy out of the original thing, even though that you know from a CG perspective was phenomenal. I mean, what's your what's your thought on on the outlook for that for that movie? 
Yeah, I mean, I was at Disney for the time when those derivatives are kind of started started rolling out. Uh, the first being Cinderella, which I think is the most underrated of all of them, and actually was probably the most additive to a, a very old movie to to and an update that was very like Kenneth Branagh directed that. Well, yeah, 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 it was great. Movie. It was really sweet. Um, and then yeah, I think like there is. Um, I think they've lost they have lost their way a bit um over the years with with how spot on they've got them I, you know i'm not sure beauty and the beast was as good um although it was a huge hit because emma watson and and the results to it that that kind of that that held it up um the little mermaid that the hype is the hype is obscene um and the the colorblind casting etc is just gorgeous and they need to not get it wrong because if they get it wrong i think that would be a nail in the coffin of live act live action adaptations at that kind of scale it'll just be like well listen as you know if if you're going to build something up that much and take something that beloved because little mermaid isn't that isn't that old you know and i think that is maybe one of the the challenges with, with beauty and the beast it's like it's not it's not in need of new breath necessarily it's still very beloved it's still very watched by kids so yeah, they need to get it right. Otherwise, it's just fabulous. I mean, the, the, that run they had for about a day is just, it's just, it's just incredible. Mm. Yeah, the second coming of Walt Disney Animation Studios for sure. What do you think, Andy? I mean, I yeah, I think it has to have some kind of imperative behind it beyond we're going to make it look like live action. Uh, there has to be, there has to be a reason that you're retelling that story in a different way beyond just the way it looks. I think and. Beauty and the Beast was, was for me, we're going to take exactly the same story and just we're going to just tell it in live action, but didn't add anything to it. Uh, and it's in some ways it, it undermines part of the Disney brand, I think, sometimes when they do it wrong, because it makes it look like they don't feel like animation is quite serious enough or is kind of or is enough that we need to then um we need to then tell the story in live action thank you andy because you that uh, you you've prompted uh, pre the the animation continues to grow anime continues to grow uh it's crunchy world's world uh, roles world and we're just living in it that is that's a really really interesting thing and i have to say like of, out coming out of like the you know the last award season and everything else i love this this notion that animation you know isn't a genre right it's it's, it's a it's a form of, of storytelling i thought the pinocchio was absolutely fabulous um yeah so i think i think we'll see more and more you know growth in, in animation and just just sophisticated storytelling and really interesting things i just you know and i i, I you know i love i love a good animated you know show or or, uh, or movie yeah absolutely um great well i think that's a a good place to end it. Thanks very much, Simon. It's been uh, it's been brilliant. It's been really good to be able to kind of pick your brains and get your insight onto kind of a variety of things. But um, yeah, it's been excellent. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much for. Thank for you so me. much. Yeah, it's great. Right, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. Please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Then you'll never miss an episode.